0: This is um, my first time wearing my glasses in public, so I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious. So Galatians, um, chapter 1, starting at verse 11. It's nice and big. (laughs) Let's read. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather... I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard in my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the Church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Juda- Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son. In me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see who were, um, sorry, who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barabbas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be the leaders, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. This matter arose because some of the false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they, may, whatever they were, were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary... They saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do.
1: What did you get up to this weekend? What did you get up to this weekend? It's a question I seem to get asked in the shops most Mondays or Tuesdays. Um, I got asked that question in an office this week, but it could have been any week. I knew the conversation was about to end though. And sure enough, I was right. This weekend, oh, it was great. I spent Saturday, had a great time with the family, Sunday, it was in church, it was awesome. I let it hang in the air, and hang in the air it did, as the person on the other side of the desk just looked down, turned away, (laughs) started typing, Uh, and that was it. Maybe I could have been nicer. I'm sure it would have been nicer if I'd left out the church bit. We could have just been more comfortable. Maybe it would have been nicer if I'd asked her, put the question back onto her and continued the conversation and just avoided that uncomfortable bit about church and God stuff. If you've ever had the chance to tell someone that you've been to church or that you've just spent some great time studying the Bible, uh, let alone that you're actually studying for ordination as a church minister... Um, You don't understand how those sorts of conversations just drift into silence. We Christians, it seems, are being quietly challenged to just keep our faith to ourselves. But what about when that question goes deeper and someone actually responds, oh, heaven forbid, when you talk about church and then find out that someone else goes to a different church? has a different belief and you find yourself having to defend your faith even among people who purport to follow the same God. What is it that you talk about that is crucial to your faith? That's the question the Apostle Paul was considering. And so was the church in Galatia. And as we look at today's passage, we start to think about the struggle of defending the true gospel. The struggle against those who might seek to change it, water it down, add things to it. Paul's message to us today is that when your faith is being questioned, you need to know the truth and you need to be prepared to defend it. Are you prepared? We can see this conflict straight away in the first couple of verses. Why don't you have a look with me from Galatians chapter 1 from verse 11 I want you to know brothers and sisters that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up I didn't receive it from any person or man nor was I taught it rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ did you note the conflict that was apparent Paul immediately puts up the contrast of a gospel that is made by man against the gospel that came from Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not familiar with Paul's background, but just so you know, when he says revelation from Jesus Christ, it wasn't a metaphor. He was literally walking down a road when, from out of the blue, God appeared to him... He was hit with a light that was blinding and he heard the voice of Jesus tell him he needed to change his ways and submit to God. For Paul, that would have been difficult to take. You see, Paul was a model student in what he thought was following God. Elsewhere, he points out that he had one of the most respected Bible, well, Scripture teaches that there was... He was at the top of his class. He was fighting for the purity of the Jewish nation. He was knocking over anyone or anything that might get in the way of him practicing his true religion and advancing his career in the process. For verse 13 says... You have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. The New Testament is full of descriptions about Paul's group of zealots that were known as Pharisees. The traditions, the rules, the requirements made being a Pharisee a pretty difficult task. Paul had previously been led to believe that God would notice his hard work, his traditions, and God would reward him for those actions. As most devout disciples of Judaism, Paul and his previous associates claim to be zealously following God, but here Paul points out how wrong he was, did you see when he referred to God in that verse 13 and 14 I just read, the only mention of God is that it turns out that Jews like Paul had been trying to destroy God's work. Did you catch that? Paul once thought he was building up God's kingdom, but he was actually opposing it. He was actually bringing it down because he hadn't yet understood The gospel of God's grace. But God was about to turn Paul's ambition on its head. Verse 15 But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Rather than Paul's previous way of man made rules and man made traditions this gospel is not man-made at all. In fact, the true gospel comes from God through the very person that Paul's group had been trying to knock down, Jesus Christ and his followers. As this verse shows, the gospel of grace is now the real centre of Paul's faith and the centre of his argument. The true gospel focuses on the unmerited grace, the undeserved grace offered through Jesus Christ and only on the grace that is offered through Jesus Christ. There's nothing man-made about it at all. How is it that this gospel of grace comes to us? In verse 15, Paul tells us that God chose him set him apart from birth and called him by his grace. This is indeed how the true gospel works. And so what is this grace that Paul is so insistent about? Well, Scott very helpfully pointed out last week that grace is undeserved favour, favor, unmerited It's the gift you receive when you don't deserve any special treatment at all. God's grace is even more special because it's not just that we did nothing. It's that we actually worked against God. We were enemies of God. It's the gift that we get from God even though we've wronged him, slandered him, ignored him. The victim... God, pays for the offender, us. That's what is meant by unmerited grace. And to illustrate the grace of God, let me give you a human example. In 2017, Maria Jimenez was killed in a car crash on the London freeway. She was a passenger in a car being driven by her so-called friend, Nick, who was driving at twice the speed limit when the car crashed. Maria had a bright future and her death at age 24 was devastating for her parents and family. But that very night, Maria's mum, Elizabeth, began thinking about the driver, Nick. What would he be going through? Who was caring for him? And so Elizabeth began praying for Nick taking steps to visit Nick in jail, went on to tell him that she loved him and forgave him, that she could see that he was going to need her help. Elizabeth and her husband even let Nick move into their house because he had nowhere else to go while he was waiting for his court case. And they cared for him And they petitioned the court for leniency when sentencing him. And when he went to jail, they visited him. And when he was deported, they kept in contact and are now making arrangements to see him overseas, even though they've been denied from doing so through the time of COVID. Maria's parents could have given their daughter's killer their hatred their condemnation, in some way hoping to exact some sort of punishment for what uh, what Nick took away from their family. They could have rejoiced at his jail sentence, but they gave him unmerited favour, undeserved grace. This is only a shadow of what grace God gives us. From the first opportunity, humans have been opposed to God, unwilling to follow his rules, disobeying him at every chance. And God knows the pain of watching his child die too. Not through accident though, but intentionally at the hands of cruel humans. Isn't God justified in taking action against his son's killers? Actually, he'd be justified in taking action against each one of us too. You and I have also, at some stage, rejected God as king, rejected his rule and defiantly tried to live lives according to our own ways, our own traditions, our own man-made rules. That might still be where you're at, trying to live your life without reference to God, without giving God the true worship he deserves as king god would be justified in cutting us off but that's not what he does instead god offers you his grace his unmerited favor the unmerited favor of being forgiven and that's just the start the unmerited favor of welcoming us back into his family And when you confess that you have done wrong and you need help, that's just what he does. He welcomes us into his family, welcomes us at his dinner table, so to speak, like Maria's family did for their daughter's killer. Such grace is astounding, right? Radical. A gift that lasts longer than anything else we'd buy or make on earth. God's gift of relationship lasts for eternity. This story of forgiveness, of restoration, of grace, this is the heart of the gospel that Paul's talking about. Direct from God himself, a revelation from God himself, that revelation we can find in the Bible, which is God's word. Paul is clear and wants to be clear that the true gospel comes from God and is not something that is made up by men. Now, I don't know about you, but when I find a good coffee shop, I share that news. I have people come and see me uh, uh, when we're out in social circles or when I was working um, uh, at my former workplace uh, telling me about a great yoga class they've got into and I should really come try it out. Um, Others, um, a a favourite gym they've got or a favourite fish and chip shop. Often uh, a good Friday night conversation, where do you go? And you should try it. Because when you're onto a good thing, you just want to tell others about it so they can share your joy. Paul is doing that too here. In verse 16, the grace of Jesus being revealed in Paul, why? So that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So that I might preach. When Jesus is being revealed in us, isn't it so that we might preach too? Now, hang on. When I mean preach, I don't mean that you'd stand up here and give a 20-minute or so talk or that you'd talk someone's ear off for 20, 25 minutes just in the, the, the coffee room of, uh, of your workplace. Well, be my guest. But just like the coffee shop or the favourite restaurant or the favourite gym when you're on to a good thing, you give the word to others that there's joy to be found and that it's worthwhile checking it out. So much more the gospel, which is, after all, the main reason Christians do everything that they do. When you have an opportunity to explain your motivation for life, what did you do this weekend, your answer Will flow out of the gospel of God's grace. We just heard about Maria, the grieving mother, uh, uh, whose grieving mother Elizabeth welcomed Nick into her home. The gospel of grace flowed out of Elizabeth too when she was asked why she would extend such favour to her son's killer, her daughter's killer. She said, "God tells us." that forgiveness is just the start. She said, God doesn't just want forgiveness, he wants restoration. She said, that's why I had to do what I did. The gospel of grace reframes your whole life. That's what happened to Paul. He couldn't deny the truth, and when Jesus was revealed in him, he had to preach it. And nor did he just fall back into his old way of life. See, verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praised God. Paul is still at pains to show that he's now being directed by the truth of God's grace. He's not getting his gospel from people. He's got it direct from God. In fact, Paul's circle of influence changed so markedly that he didn't go back to his old haunts, his old stomping ground. He went somewhere entirely new and ruled a line under that old way of life. And even to the point that uh, we see in verse 23 that the churches that used to expect persecution from Paul didn't even see him again but only heard that he was now preaching the faith that he'd once tried to destroy, and they praised God for it. So Paul is mounting a solid defence of the gospel as being from God, direct, not from man. But what was going on that prompted him to have to make this argument anyway? What was going on behind the scenes? Was was Paul right to be wary of criticism? Was it good that he make this defence? Was he right to be wary of an attack on the gospel of the grace of God? It turns out he was. We pick it up from chapter 2, verse 1. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. "'I took Titus also. "'I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel "'that I preach among the Gentiles. "'But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders "'for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain.' Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And here it is. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We didn't give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. There are some signs here that Paul encountered some real attack. Verse 2 suggests... Paul is very concerned about whether the Jerusalem Christians have the right gospel, even to the extent that he's concerned that they'll be undoing his good work and that he'll be working in vain for the gospel while they are undoing it in Jerusalem. He's concerned that they will be contaminating the gospel. What do I mean contaminating? When you contaminate something, you add something in a way that makes the product less valuable. Uh, I don't know if you've bought ice blocks or fruit juice from the supermarket lately, but uh, you might have noticed a big difference in those things that call themselves fruit juice and the products that are called fruit drink. You ever made that distinction? Quite simply, the difference is sugar. Fruit juice has to be a certain percentage of fruit juice. But if you add in sugar, fruit drink. Because you lose all the benefits of the natural fruit. Fruit drink might be advertised as fruit, but in some cases there's less than 5% fruit. The additives have totally taken away the health benefit. The additives have totally taken away the benefit So too here in a spiritual sense, the true gospel is God's grace alone. What happens when it's contaminated? What happens when we add man-made rules to the gospel of grace? The gospel loses its truth. The gospel loses its importance. And so, in Paul's day, if the gospel has become contaminated, Paul would be right to be concerned that his hard work in preaching the gospel would have been in vain. And what is this contamination? This additive to the gospel that Paul was worried about, it's there in verse 3, circumcision. Some people were saying that because God implemented circumcision for the Jews then all of God's people needed to be circumcised in order to be true believers. Paul wants to make sure that there is no contamination, no additive to the gospel of grace because an additive would totally remove the benefit, the value. If you're saying the gospel is a totally undeserved, unmerited gift... And then you add circumcision as a requirement as though it's something you have to do in order to get it, in order to get the gospel, in order to get God's favour, well it's no longer a gift anymore, it's a payment, it's like work, it's, a, it's wages that you get, it's something, it's a reward, it's something you deserve because you've done what's required, no, that's not unmerited is it? The unmerited gift of God is a gift to us, not because of what we do. And if we think it's about something we've done to deserve it, we rob it of all of its power. And in verse 4, it appears that some people have infiltrated the ranks of the Christians to, as it says there, make us slaves. Oh, that's another word that reminds me of work. Yeah you know that right oh slaves oh the slave master oh the slave driver oh i've got to go back to the salt mines oh another day in the coal face slaves by definition do work for a human master but the gospel of grace is not about doing work to please human masters it's not about circumcision Paul wants his readers to know that when it comes to their salvation, God is their only master. They are not to be doing work for man-made rules or human masters as though that will earn their salvation. No, no. God is their only master. Christ has done all the work. The gospel must not be contaminated with additives that rob it of its power I I don't know if anyone's told you you need to get circumcised in order to become a Christian I certainly haven't been told that so maybe it was circumcision in their day and not in ours I, I don't recall anyone saying that was necessary but there are other works that people attempted to describe as necessary to achieve salvation some of you are nodding, you've heard it it's not work that makes you worthy of salvation. It's not status that makes you worthy of salvation. But we do work for God as a sign that we have been saved. Take baptism. Baptism isn't required for you to become a Christian. Baptism is the sign that you have received God's grace and that you are now part of his family. It's not speaking in tongues that is required for you to become a Christian. It's not keeping the Sabbath that makes you worthy of receiving God's favour. No, the gospel of grace is unmerited grace unmerited favour that is not dependent on what you do. It's not financial support for the church that pays your way into God's kingdom. That's offensive. It's not church attendance that makes you a Christian. Uh, Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage will make you a car. Uh, Church attendance is a physical sign of what's already happened. That you're part of God's family, that you've received God's undeserved gift to you. Like Paul, we must be certain that the truth of the gospel of grace alone, our place in God's family comes through Christ alone, nothing else. We spoke a bit about glasses this morning, taking them on, putting them off. The gospel is like the lens through which we view everything in the world. In fact, I think we even prayed the lens of the gospel. It brings clarity. It helps us see things for what they are. It helps us see through the man-made traditions as though our lives should depend on them and helps us see that God has worked for us to bring us into his family. It's how we now view everything in our life, through the lens of the gospel. It's in this light that Paul is going to Jerusalem hoping that the leaders haven't contaminated the work of the gospel or the message of the gospel with work and tradition. In fact, notice Paul describes the leaders he's going to in verse 2. He went to see those, chapter 2 verse 2, who seem to be leaders, He's saying that even though they have a role in the church, they're not actually the leader. They just seem to be the leaders. He says it again later on in verse 6. Let's pick it up from there. In verse 6, as for those who seem to be important, who seem to be important. Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching to the Gentiles just as Peter to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. If Paul gets a whiff that these men have contaminated the gospel, it doesn't care, he doesn't care what their position is. He will oppose them. They're not the leaders. Christ is the leader. These men seem to be leaders because they've been given some authority in the church. But the moment they stray from the gospel, they are not the leaders anymore in Paul's book. So too with me. If I stray from the gospel, you bring me into line. And so James, Peter and John may have seemed to be important in verse 6 may have been reputed to be pillars in verse 9, but Paul isn't supporting that view. Jesus is the real leader. So he doesn't seek their blessing and permission because they're all just co-workers under the gospel of grace. And so instead of seeking permission, Paul just reaches agreement. Verse 9, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me. That is like a handshake, which is a sign of agreement. And they agreed that I should go to the Gentiles. Note what they didn't do. They didn't tell tell Paul to require circumcision. They didn't tell him he must require sacrifices of the people. They didn't tell him that he must require anything of Christians because the gospel is a free gift, not an earned reward. There was one thing in verse 10, but no, they didn't tell him. They just asked. The only thing they asked was for him to help the poor. But he'd already agreed that that was a natural outworking of the gospel of grace anyway. Many churches have been in a big problem. When they rely too much on the authority of humans to set the tradition, to set the rules... We know of churches that have lost their way because they are not relying on the power of the gospel of grace alone. They've contaminated the teachings by adding to it rules of men, human traditions, adding to what is pure and simple the gospel of unmerited grace that came to us through Jesus Christ. He alone can save. So we must be careful not to add to the gospel traditions and requirements and rules lest we rob the gospel of its power in the lives of the people around us. So we come back to the initial question. What did you do this weekend? I'm not sure what else you did, but I can tell you this. This weekend you were reminded again that God has given you a gift you didn't deserve. A gift that rescued you from death. A gift that protects you for eternity. A gift that benefits everyone who will accept it. You were reminded again this weekend about the gift of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. Paul endured opposition when he shared that message and you might share you might uh, encounter opposition when you share that message but rest assured you're in good company it's through the gospel of grace that we have life let us not add to it man made tradition lest we rob the gospel of its power let's pray Heavenly Father, Lord, you have given us a gift we didn't deserve, the gift of eternity in your family. Though we offended you and opposed you, you welcomed us back into your family and we can indeed sit at your table as children, your adopted children. Lord, please help this truth to colour every action that we do as we look at all of our lives putting on the lens of the gospel and seeing it for what it is and lord help us to remove any additives and only do that which is prompted by the free gift that we have through jesus christ our lord and in his name we pray amen